0: Tempted and tried. Tempted and tried. That is today's sermon title. So I want to start off with a story, right? There once was a young man, and this young man was a part of the an Indian tribe, and you know how they have rites of passage. And we've even done that here at Lighthouse with the young men that are the young boys that are transferring into manhood. We we have like a ceremony of a rites of passage. And so in this tribe, the rites of passage, this young man had to go out into the wilderness. He had to hike. He had to live off the land. He had to, 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 to make himself approved, you know, before his, before his people. And so he's traveling and he's hiking and he's on the valley low and there's trees and there's flowers and he's enjoying everything. And then he says, how can I prove myself to my people? He looks up and he sees these mountaintops. And it's so high up that there's snow at the top of the mountains. That's how I'll do it. If I climb the mountain, I can show them how brave I am. So he gets his, uh, they, they call it like the buffalo skin shirt, the thing he throw over, and he throws a blanket over there, and he starts to hike up the mountain. He makes it all the way up, and he looks out into the rest of the world, and it says that he thought he could see forever. That's how high he was. It was like no limit to what he could see from up there. He was taking it in. He was breathing it in. And he's like, okay, now I can make my way down. And as he started to move, he heard something by his feet. And when he looked, there was a snake. And before he could say or move, the snake spoke to him. And the snake said, wait, don't leave. I need your help. And the young man says, what do you, what do you mean you need my help? He's like, do me a favor. Pick me up and put me in your shirt, and walk me down to the valley. I'm going to die up here. I'm going to freeze. I got no food. You know, I got no clothes. I mean, I'm freezing. I'm already a cold-blooded animal. I shouldn't be up here. The, the, the young man looks. He's like, ah, oh, no, I've been warned about your kind. You're a rattlesnake. If I go and touch you, you'll bite me, and I'll die. He's like, no, 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 I promise. I'll make an exception this time. He's like, he's like, hey, you're, you do something for me. i do something for you. I'll take care of you. You take care of me. Just get me down there. And after some persuasion and some time and some back and forth, the young man finally gave in and said, okay, I'm going to trust you. You say you're not going to harm me. And he picks him up, he puts him in the shirt. Nothing happens. He's like, okay. So he starts walking down the mountain. He's walking down the mountain. He's walking down the mountain. He gets down to the valley, and he lets the snake out. He goes, we made it. You're now in the valley. At that moment, the snake, he, uh, he, as he put him down, he kind of like, like all of a sudden coiled back. If you guys know how snakes do, they coil back, and the, the rattle started to, to shake, and he bit him on the leg. And then the young man, he held the leg and he said, but you promised. You promised you wouldn't bite me. Now I'm going to die. And the snake looked up at him and said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. And then he slithered, slithered, slithered away. You knew what I was before you picked me up. Temptation is what we're talking about today. It will come in all forms, all forms. We know that we shouldn't do something. We know that we shouldn't do something, and yet there's this internal battle like, well, should I do it or should I not? I know I really shouldn't, but I kind of want to. I know it's bad for me, but it's not, it can't be that bad for me. And we battle with this. We all battle with temptation where does faith come into the equation? We're continuing in our studies of the book of James. Yo, I'm excited because this, this couple months season right now at Lighthouse, on Thursday nights, we're studying the book of Ephesians. On Sundays, we're going through the book of James. I'm telling you, I don't want to hear nobody say, we don't even get no word right now because we're getting word, all right? We're getting into the word. Get connected. Get connected. We're going to continue our our study of the Book of James, and last week we looked at the storms of life and how having faith through them, uh, how, how how we can have faith through them. You know, we learn to endure, to persevere. You know, to, to not to doubt what God would do through the storms. and we talked about that last week. This week we're taking another look at another look at uh, faith and what affects our faith, and it's temptation. Temptation will affect your faith, your walk with God. So if, you, if we want to say, well, what is temptation? Um, it's a trial. It's a moment in which man has a free choice of being faithful or unfaithful to God, an allurement or seduction to sin. If you look at a regular dictionary, regular secular dictionary, it says, a desire to engage in a short-term urge, short-term urge for enjoyment that threatens your long-term goal. That's, what, that's, that, that's the world's definition of temptation. To, 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 in, to take part of something that's short-term, an urge that's short-term that will affect your long term goal. Your long term goal. I mean, we see that, and like my long term goal is to lose 20 pounds. But this pizza looks good right now. I mean, it's only one slice. I mean, it's gonna satisfy my urge right now, but this temporary urge, this temporary satisfaction could. Risk a long-term goal. Put your long-term goals at risk. And that's just one funny example, but we can get into many serious ones maybe later. Temptation is not a sin. I don't want people to leave here and then feel like when they got tempted, they did something wrong. And that's something that you really need to understand. Temptation is not a sin. We all will be tempted. Jesus was tempted, and we know that Jesus did not sin. Jesus was tempted by the devil himself. What determines our success in life is how we deal with temptation. And we'll understand later that when you surrender to the temptation and you give in, then that's when sin is birthed. I want to take a look at James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15 says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. <clears throat> for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when full grown, brings forth death. I want to look at several points in this verses. Like, we're going through the book of James, so we're going to be reading some verses, and we're just going to be talking about it. And there's a couple of points that we want to make on these three verses. And the first point that I want us to take a look at is there is a reward for overcomers. Let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with the good. There is a reward for the overcomers. There's a prize, you know? How many of us like prizes and rewards? Okay, how many of us don't like it? Chris? So what happens is we love prizes and rewards because it's not something common. When you get a prize, when you get a reward, it's not an everyday thing. And most likely, you've done something to earn that prize. You've done something to earn that reward. You did something great. You stood out above the rest. You know, you, you, you accomplished a feat that not everybody not could accomplish. I mean, although these days, you know, everybody gets a prize. All football teams get trophies, even though you guys were in 30th place. <laughs> I'm sorry, I am so against this. Church, I, listen, listen. There, there, I grew up with a first place, a second place, and a third place, and even second and third were still lo- they lost. They, they, yeah, there was a second loser and the third loser, right? It's the first and second loser. But the thing is, that I grew up in a time that, that people got rewarded for something great, and what happens is when we reward everyone for just anything. And there's no greatness, and there's no efforts, and there's no uh, perseverance, and you just give them because they're there. We are creating a spirit of entitlement that is overwhelming our country, overwhelming the world, where people just go around places feeling entitled. Like, well, I should get that. Well, Why should you get that? Well, I mean, because I'm here. Uh, I could care less if you're here. You don't, you, don't, you, know, you don't deserve that. You didn't earn that. But that's what we're creating when everybody gets a prize, when everybody gets a reward. We have to earn it. And so the first thing he says here, he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. There is a prize, and that prize comes with endurance. It's for the person who endures temptation who gets the reward, the person who perseveres, the person who stands firm, the person who holds their ground in their walk with God. You, if you are that person, you will be rewarded, says the word of God. Remember the story of the three Hebrew boys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, The king made a golden idol for for everyone to worship and bow down to, and they refused. They said, you know what, we're not going to bow down to that because that's a false god and we serve a, a real god, a living God, and, and we're not going to bow down to that idol, to that false pagan God. They were not even, uh, they didn't even doubt their decision. Remember, we talked last year, having faith through the storms, not to doubt. Well, they did not doubt because they were threatened with death. If you don't bow down to this golden idol, we're going to throw you in a furnace now, we look at a furnace and they look really small and like, you know, I don't know. This was a big furnace. I think the king liked throwing people in there. This was like a punishment. Like, this is like, I'm going to sentence you to death. Okay, we throw you in there. And they would burn you alive in this furnace. They were told, if you don't bow down, we will burn you alive. We will throw you into the furnace. At that moment, they have a decision to make. They, they, they could be tempted and say, well, you know, God would understand. He would understand that if we die, how can we be useful for him if we die? We got to stay alive, so we got to do whatever we can to stay alive. A lot of us are amazing uh, justifiers to God. Like, uh, we we have these conversations, right? Negotiators with God. All of us are are expert negotiators with God. Look, God, I know you don't want me to really do this, but... um, I'm going to do this. But, but but don't worry. I'll be in church on Sunday. I'll be in church on Thursday. But let me do this now. And I'll ask we we negotiate with God all the time. They had an opportunity at that moment to be like, "You know what? I don't want to die." Who wants to die? Let alone who wants to die burning? I mean, look, I burned myself last week like right here. And it's it it, it almost still hurts. And it's like it's literally like, a, like a, a water drop that I burned myself, and it stung, and, 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 and I, was, I, was, I was writing this. I was like, man, this was so painful, people's entire body was feeling worse than this. I mean, they would go in there, I mean, and, and we, could, we could even go into the conversation of hell and what hell is going to be like and how the sad thing about hell for those that end up there is that That's an eternal pain. I mean, I know we don't talk about that enough because, you know, we don't want to, like, you know, bring a downer, but the reality is that imagine getting burned and then that burning sensation being intensified all over your body and then never stopping because, you know, burn victims here, they die after after a while, right? We have a firefighter right here, right? They die. But in hell, they will continue burning continue in pain and never die. I mean, I don't know who wants to go through that. We have, we have the secret right here. You have like the passcode. You have the cheat code right here of how not to end up there. Okay, 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 okay. So Listen. Um, this is the kind of thing This is the kind of thing that, that the, the Scripture is talking about. They held their ground. They held their ground. They did not budge. And if you don't want if you, to, to, to fast forward, they were thrown in there. And while they were in there, they didn't burn. In fact, they were like dancing and worshiping. And when the king kind of looked in, he saw that there were four instead of three. And God was in there, in there with them, kept them, saved them. They opened the furnace. They came right back out. They didn't even smell like smoke. Anyways, God did his thing there, showing who was the true God. But they stood their ground even when temptation came their way. And, 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 and what's happening here is we're talking about being approved. The verse says, when he has been approved. Well, what does that mean? Well, approved meaning you have been tested and you have been found to be genuine. You have been tested and you have been found to be the real thing the real deal, when you have been approved. A brother Al and I were, after one, one um, Tuesday night, we were talking about, are we Christians or are we disciples of Christ? Remember that, Al? And we were talking about that, and I said, like, well, we're all Christians. And he's like, well, everybody's loosely using that word Christian. We're loosely using the word Christian because, well, I believe that there's a God, so I'm a Christian. I believe that there's a God, so I'm a Christian. And what happens is, Um, You have to ask yourself, are you a Christian or are you actually a disciple of Christ? A disciple of Christ, meaning you watch his life, you study his life, you imitate his life, and you desire for you what he desires for you and for others. Anyways, uh, you're tested and found genuine. Genuine oh, this is truly, this man is truly a disciple of Christ. This woman is truly a disciple of Christ. Imagine you're at the store, and you're buying, uh, I don't know, a T-shirt or something, and it comes out to $42, and you have like a $50 bill. You give the register cashier a $50 bill, and she gives you the change back, and you get it, you start walking away, and you start realizing like, oh, she gave me change for $100. I gave her a $50. This is when, this is when all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like the little bloom bloom. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The little devil and the angel? It's like, bloop, bloop. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like, what will you do? And the devil's like, it's okay. You don't got to worry about it. You know, um, it's a big store anyway. You know, um, they're not going to notice. They're not going to go bankrupt. You know, you know uh, they'll be Okay. And then, you know she'll just be short. I think she might get right, written up. Um, and then, if you are a Christian, then the devil uses a different approach. If you are a Christian, that was such a blessing. You know you needed gas money, and the Lord answered. Woo! You might start doing that, that like that little dance in the store. Like, oh, God answered me. <laughs> that still is the devil, right? <laughs> and again, God says, it's not yours. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't matter how big the store is. It doesn't matter if they're going to miss out on it or not. And then you have a decision to make. Do you give in to temptation, especially when the devil paints it as a blessing, which he will at many times? Or will you do the right thing? Will you do the right thing? Your decision determines where, whether you are tested and found to be genuine or not. Oh, but pastors, that's just some couple dollars. You, you're saying that my whole walk with God means nothing? Well, if you truly are doing your best to walk with God, then you're going to fight against the urges to do, to, to do these things. Now, if we mess up, we, you know, some people, they fall short. We all fall short. But we should always be trying, trying to not give in to the temptations that we would face in life. Who are you when no one is watching? Listen, it's so easy to do things, to say things, because nobody's in the room. But we never really imagine God, like, sitting in the chair, like, watching us, Right? We don't really imagine that, but the reality is that he is all-seeing. He sees you at all times. He sees you when you do the nice things, and he sees you when you do the not-so-nice things. Who are you when no one is watching? So what's our reward? James says it's our crown of life. The crown of life. Jesus' purpose and coming here was to bring us life. We were all heading down a deadly road, all deserving death. And he came and he bore himself as an ultimate sacrifice, atoning for all our sins that we can be forgiven of them and have life and life abundantly, right? Let's, let's read that. John 10, 10. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. How do we get this abundant life that Jesus wants us to have? It's the reward for those who are tested in the fires of temptation and found to be genuine, tested and tried, endured, persevered. If you look at the original Greek translation, you know, the original Greek before it was translated, you'll discover that in the Bible they don't have separate words for test and temptation. In the Greek, it's, it's the same word, right? And so it makes, kinda, it makes sense if you kind of think about it, right? It says, you know, every temptation in itself is a test, is a test. And that leads us to our next point. God wants us to pass the test. We all have gone to school at some point. Some of us go to school still now. Some of us feel like we're never, ever going to stop being in school. And some of us couldn't, you know, we couldn't leave school faster than what we did. But the reality is that when we went to school, we had teachers that gave us tests, right? Even though now I think they're trying to find new systems. Don't test our children. Just just let them do... Oh, I'm, okay, am I going to get into that right now? Am I going to go there right now? Okay, so listen, we had tests. And the tests measured what the teacher taught you they would teach you they would give you the work and then they would test you on it now no matter how easy or hard the test was teachers wanted you to pass the test for two reasons because if everybody kept failing number one they'd be a they wouldn't feel like a adequate you know teacher you know are they actually being effective and secondly you know secondly they you know people look at the the ratios like hey all your kids are failing what's up with you Like, you're not teaching right. So there's many reasons why teachers want you to pass. But, you know, most of teachers, they want you to do well. They want you to pass. They want you to do well. They want you to go far in your your walk, in your education, in your careers. Um, And the thing is this. Teachers would give us tests, and they wanted us to pass. They didn't give us tests hoping that we would fail, even though sometimes I know we felt that way. I know it felt that way sometimes, like, oh, she just wants us all to fail this. When does she say these things? But they really don't. God is the same way. He wants us to pass the test. You know, God's not allowing us to go through this life hoping that we'd fail. Oh, let's see, let's see. Oh, she can't get through this. She's not going to be able to do it. That's not God. In fact, he's probably the biggest cheerleader. Come on. I know you can do it. I gave you the gifts. I gave you those talents. I gave, you know, I said, I'm here with you. I sent my son. I sent my Holy Spirit. He's like, he's with you right now. He can comfort you. He can strengthen you. He can guide you. I'm telling you, he's there like, come on, come on. You can do it. Just like... Uh He he, he wants us to pass the tests of life so our character is refined. When we say refined, we look at silver, right? The precious metals. They go through the fire. They go through testing. They go through just uh, all that. And then it's refined, and it's a purer state. It's a purer state. The weaknesses of that precious metal have been removed, making that metal harder. And... um, That's what God is trying to do with us. We mentioned last week that God doesn't want any wimps, right? And sometimes the way he makes us stronger is allowing us to go through some of the trials that we go through in life because it's refining us. It's removing the weaknesses in our character. Although the devil, although God wants us to pass the test, we got this dude called the devil who doesn't. And so while God is like, come on, you can do it, he's on the hand like, how can I get them to trip? How can I get them to fall? How can I get them to not make it? How can I get them to not make it to the finish line? And that's his whole goal. His whole goal is to stop you, to keep you from accomplishing what God wants in your life. 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls, around like a roaring lion looking for, whom, uh, for someone to devour. Like we read in, in John 10.10, right, we, there's a mission statement here. Um, it says that in Jesus, he desires us to have abundant life. The devil, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy, he wants to ruin it. And so what we're learning here is we've got to stay alert. We've got to stay alert. Yo, there are, there are some of us that are really sharp. We are sharp when it comes to so much. You know I could be talking to my wife, and then I see a car move over there, and I can already see, OK, it's a blue car. It's a guy with a white shirt. He got out of that. It looks like he got something, but he don't got something. Like we, 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 can, we observe the room. Some of us are really sharp. And then we fall short because we don't catch what the devil's trying to do in our lives. He sneaks up on us. How can we be so sharp? out here in the streets, in the world, and then the devil would just sneak right up on us. Stay alert. He's like a prowling lion. We have two, you know, you have, you have, Jesus wants to bring abundant life, and then the devil wants to steal and kill it. And so when you give in to temptation, you allow the devil to fulfill his mission statement. I got him. But when you resist temptation, when you overcome it, then you allow Jesus to fulfill His mission of giving you abundant life. The next thing, um, the next point I want to talk about is excuses. We all know that we can be full of excuses. Our next point is that it's easy to make excuses. It's easy. Verse thirteen of the verses that we opened up with said that no one let no one say he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he, tempt, does he himself tempt anyone. Do you understand what James is getting at right now? What James is saying is he's describing a person as blaming God for their sin. It sounds so silly, but we all do it. Oh, we've done it. Not all do it, but we've done it at some point. We blame God for sin. An example, hey, don't blame me. Don't blame me for being like this. It's not my fault that I'm like this. God made me like this. If he didn't want me to lie, he shouldn't have given me this lying nature. He shouldn't have made me dishonest. I mean, God could have made me honest, but he made me dishonest. So when I lie, it's not my fault. God made me like this. Did you know that that thinking actually represents... um, uh, a Jewish understanding of evil, and I'm explaining this to you in a minute. Genesis 1.31 says this: Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. When you go back to the book of Genesis, we talk about creation. He created everything: he created the earth, the water, you know, the, uh, the the stars, the animals, the trees, plants. He goes, he creates Adam, then he creates Eve. He takes a look at all his creation. He takes a look back. He's like, wow. This is good. This is very good. The Bible says very good. So if God called it very good, very good, how could there be evil in that? So what happens is this. They sin, right? With the Bible, when they, when they sinned, evil became a part of their nature, And so when they reproduced, instead of passing on the image of God, which he had given them, they also passed along the evil that had been birthed through their sin. And it went from there on. Evil has come in as a result of sin. Not that God made us both good and evil, but the Jews believe that God created man with both good and evil. Right? And the problem with this is that, well, the problem with this belief is that it makes God responsible for our evil actions if God did put some evil in us. If God did that, then whenever we would act on those evil tendencies, then God would be responsible for it, and God can't be responsible for evil, and then this tendency begins to, then we create a tendency to blame others for our failings. Um, And and it began all the way in uh, in the back, back to the garden. Here you have Adam and Eve. God tells them, eat everything you want. Eat everything you want. And he's like, oh, but not that right there. The fruit of that tree, the tree of knowledge, don't eat of that. Eat everything else, but not that. Now, if you tell that to our toddlers, that's the first thing they go to. If you tell that to a toddler, like, okay, you can have anything in this room. Just don't go there, like that's where I'm going. All of a sudden, you see that, uh, the, you know, the story goes that uh, a serpent, the devil comes in form of a serpent. It, 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 it's cunning. It, it convinces Eve. It's tempting Eve, you know, and tells her like, oh, why don't you eat? She eats the fruit. And then she's like, oh, this is good. And she takes it, gives it to Adam. And instead of Adam saying, no, woman, Instead of saying that, he was like, all right, let me have some too. And then he ate of the tree as well. And then they realized that they were naked. They realized and they were ashamed. And so they hid. And God had to come into the garden and was like, yo, who who told y'all y'all were naked? Who told you guys? What did you do? What did you do? Adam was like, oh, "All right, let me explain it to you, God. You see, um, this woman, this woman, this woman that you gave me, like she was the one that gave me the fruit, and because she gave me the fruit, I decided to eat. But if, you know, if you would have never given me this woman, I would have never eaten that fruit. I probably would have still been okay. The shift game, right? He's blaming Eve, and then Eve, he turns around and he says, and he and he, and he goes to Eve, like." Okay, what have you done? What have you done? And then she turns around like, well, look, I was just minding my own business, and then the snake came up to me. It was all this snake. It's his fault. This snake convinced me. It was, it was because of this snake. It wasn't my fault. The blame game started in the garden. You know, we have it now, but it started in the garden. We've been looking for someone else to blame for our shortcomings. In society, we blame parents our kids will blame their parents when they feel that they've, you know, they do things in life and they want to blame maybe the way they were raised. You have uh, teachers that are blamed for maybe not teaching enough or not being, you know, oh, oh I, I didn't get to this college because you didn't teach me this, or I didn't get to this because you didn't do this. You know, police are blamed for for crime. You know, I mean, if they would have never roughed that guy up, then I would never act out on the police. There are, there are people that are acting out against the police that the police have never done anything to. I could understand, I could understand if you've been a, a, a victim of some, you know, some problems with police, and then you feel that because you've been an actual victim, but to never feel that, but then to blame the police for the reasons why you're acting out. Oh, you know, I'm just going to do this, and it's because the police. Well, what did they do to you? Exactly. Well, nothing really, but did you know that many people love to blame me? Can, can, can I be honest? Do you know that people blame me? Not just me, but other pastors too. They, people blame pastors all the time. If pastor would have given me more attention, I would have never sinned the way I sinned. If pastor would have taken time to just give me the one-on-one that I needed all the time that I needed at every time that I needed, then I would have known better because then he probably would have taught me this. If pastor would have been more firm, because you see, at moments there, now you want me to be firm. But when I actually am being firm, like, pastor, lighten up a bit. Relax. But when things happen, if pastor would have just been on me a little bit longer. I would have never fallen into this. I would have never done this. I've I know. I would have never went over there. It's time we stop blaming God and all others when we fail, when we fall. Listen, we all are going to make mistakes. We all are going to, at, at some points, fall to some of the temptations that are thrown our way, and we cannot blame anyone else. Because the, the, the second you start blaming anyone else, then you're not working on the real problem, which is in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Listen, the reality is this, you could blame, all, you could blame, you could blame me all you want. And one day, you will stand before God the Father, and he's going to judge you not on what I did at that moment or what I didn't do. He's going to judge you on what you did and what you didn't do. He's not going to be like, oh, I see Pastor Vince really didn't call you four or five times a week, so you know what? I'm going to let it slide that you killed that person over there. Um, Don't worry about that. Um, Okay, listen, give this guy a wristband. You know, he's one of the the ones that it was because of somebody else that he would have not made it in. That's not how it's going to work. It's going to be like, listen, no excuses. You did this, and you did this. And this is what I'm judging you on. This is what I'm judging you on. My last point is that temptation will target the soul. Verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Last week, I mentioned that the soul had three parts. I talked about that last week. It had the mind, the will, and the emotions. Temptation will target these. So the first... Uh, the emotions. James says that everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire. The devil will tailor temptation, right, to match to match our own natural desires. There are some things that some people will never be able to be tempted by because they just don't like it. They will never do it. They're repulsed by it. You know? Uh you're on a diet. We'll use the diet example. Mm-hmm. Why, well, you want me to use a uh, harder example? No, no. Yeah. Uh, we have this example of the thing is uh, uh, you're on a, let's say you use the diet and, 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 and there's a, a, ju- a juicy pizza right in front of you. We'll use the pizza again. Or chicharron. Look at that. Yeah. You're on a diet. Uh, can you be tempted from this slice of pizza, and guess what, if you've never liked pizza? You're on a diet. Pizza's not good for you if you're on a diet. Or how about a bag of the flaming Hot Cheetos, right? Guess what? I don't like them. So it doesn't matter how much junk food is in it. I'm not going to have it because I just don't like them. So the devil will not try to tempt you with something he knows you, it won't entice you. He's not going to entice you with something if, if if you if you're not someone that's prone to gambling or to addiction, then they're not going to they're going to he's not going to tempt you with gambling. He's not going to tempt you with money things if money's not a big thing to you. If some some people are like money is a really big thing; it will control your life. And guess what? If that's the case, oh, get ready because the temptations will come when it will have all to do with money, not just money, but you will definitely be tempted with money issues if money is a big thing to you. He matches it to match, he, he, he creates these temptations to match your desires. Our enemy's out there. He's not out there throwing random temptations. Let me just see who will th- fall on this. Who's going who's gonna to have an affair over here? Or who's going to do this? I mean, he's not just randomly doing this. He's studying. He's watching. He's listening you know, one thing, one thing is this, we know that God is all-knowing, the devil is not. If y'all didn't know, now y'all know. God is all-knowing, the devil is not. And so how you live your life, what you read, what you talk, what you, how you engage, how you, everything is, guess what? You, you are a, um, you are an exhibit A. You are, uh, you know, what, what do you call the lab rats? One, two, I don't know. Nina, what is, what's for that? <laughs> what do you call it when they have a bunch of them samples, samples. <laughs> different guinea pigs? We're just that's what we are. He's watching, taking notes. Oh, wait a minute. Whenever that girl walked by, he couldn't keep from looking. Let's see what happens if another girl walks by. Oh, his eyes keep wandering. So you know what? I know exactly how to tempt him. I know exactly what to do with that guy. Oh, oh, uh, she doesn't let her husband see her inbox? Her husband doesn't have access to her private messages? Ooh, I know exactly what to do. And all of a sudden, some random dude hit up, hey, what's up, Shadi? On the, in, you know, DMing and stuff like that. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You are being observed. And the temptations that will come to your life will be geared around things that will entice you. It's not going to be something that you're not going to care about. It's going to be something that's going to make you at that moment be like, uh, uh, I really shouldn't do that. Uh, I really shouldn't do that. And then there's going to be that moment of battle within yourself to decide what you do. Temptation targets the mind. The word used in the verse is enticed. Imagine this. You go fishing one day, and you're trying to save money, and so you throw the hook in the water. I'm I'm speeding this up. You throw the hook in the water, right, and have no worm on it. The fish comes up to it and was like, what? Look at this dude. Ew, ew, come here. Check this out. Check this out. This dude thinks we all dumb in here. Look, he was a hook with no worm. I can see it's a hook. Can't catch a fish like that. What happens is, you, but what happens is you put a big, fat, juicy worm on that hook and you throw it out, and it goes in the water. Now a fish comes up to be like, "Woo! I like juicy worms." And all his friends are like, "Don't do it. There's a hook in there. Don't do it, man. It's a setup. It's a setup." Just like even your brothers and sisters in the faith will tell you, "Brother, don't do it. Sister, don't do it. It's a setup." it's not what God wants for you. So his friend's like, don't do it, There's a worm, There's a worm. He's like, man, I don't see no worm. I see that. I mean, I don't see a hook. I see that worm. And if there is a hook, it probably won't be that bad. It probably won't be that bad. This is how temptation works. It deceives the mind, knowing that a hook is a very bad thing, but somehow we're deceived to think we'll be okay. Same thing happens when we partake in the things of this world. That there's stuff in this world that we know are not okay, but we're like, ah, one time is not that bad. One time is not that bad. What's the purpose of the bait? The purpose, there has two purposes. The first one is to hide the hook. And that's how the devil operates, he hides the real nature of the temptation. The real nature of temptation, which is to to kill you, to, to, to keep you from having the abundant life, is hidden. It's hidden. By the worm, it's, it's the hook, right? The bait uh, hides it. A drug addict, right? Everything, uh, right now, they, they'll sell anything, they'll do anything to, to, to get rid of, to, to, to sell, to buy, just to buy drugs. You guys know, when you get to a point of addiction, you will, I mean, nothing is off the table for selling. I have had people try to sell me, like, used socks. Serious. They will try to sell anything to then buy drugs for the next fix. And the thing is, the first time, it was pleasurable, right? The bait was hiding. The bait was hiding the intentions of the the temptation. If they could go back, if they can go forward in time before they became hooked on drugs and they could see what their life would look like, you know how sad it is? My daughter... And she, out of the blue, did I say this already one time here? Out of the blue, I mean, because now we have to take 95 and get off on Allegheny, and we drive up Allegheny, and then make a right on Front Street. That's how I get here now, right? So now we have to pass by k and and my daughter had never seen it, and she's four years old. She's sitting by the car seat. She looks out, and she's like, Daddy, are those zombies out of her mouth? Now... I tried my best to keep her from seeing any type of zombie stuff, but even cartoons have zombies now, right? And so out of her mouth, she said that, and Camille and I looked at each other like, wait, where'd you get that? Like, how did she go? But look how they're walking. Look what they're doing. Like, and she, I mean, obviously, she didn't see exactly what they were doing, but she just saw them, and she said, are they, are they zombies? And the thing is this, if you could take one of them and rewind before they got into that place, rewind before they ever took the first one and say, listen, sit right here. I'm going to fast forward five years from now, and I'm going to show you who you will be. And if they could see that, do you think they would make that decision? They wouldn't, if you can see in advance. A man has a series of affairs. His marriage is broken up. His kids hate him. His finances are a mess. Um, he's lost everything that was important to him. Do you think if he had an opportunity back then to get a sneak peek at what his, at what giving into uh, his impulses would do in the future, would he give into those impulses? Probably wouldn't. The first purpose of the bait is to, uh, a, a debate, to hide the hook, but the second is to make the hook look attractive. What's to appeal of illicit sex and drugs and lying and stealing. And those are just the, the common ones that we can say are the easy identifiable temptations. Because there are a, a lot more temptations. It comes, it comes in like you have white collar temptations and blue collar temptations. It is the fact that it's the promise of some kind of pleasure that makes it look attractive? Just like in the Garden of Eden, the devil's temptation to Eve was basically like, oh, if you do this, you'll be just like God. If you do this, you'll know what he knows. He, He enticed her with something that was pleasurable. Oh, I could be like God? I could know what he knows? And so she took and fell for the temptation. It's the promise of some kind of pleasure or benefit, whether physical or psychological. When temptation targets the mind, we could sum this all up with one word, deception. We are deceived. In closing, the temptation targets our emotion, our mind, and lastly, our will. So the will. This will becomes involved when desire has conceived. And the verse was like, when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full-grown, it it brings forth death. Although temptation is not a sin, it becomes sin, and it can become sin in a very brief moment. You know, sometimes temptations are like a constant temptation that just won't go away, and some of them, it's just a one-time boom, and, and they get you. The temptation manages to deceive the mind, engage the emotions, and then activate the will. And at that point, the result is sin. But I have to close with great news. You know that the great news is this, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is, this is great. This is great. We talk about temptation and all the, all the stuff with temptation, but this is great. It says, no temptation has overtaken you Corinthians, First Corinthians, ten, thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Do you know what it's saying in this verse? Yes, there will be temptation. Yes, you will be tempted. But let me give you some good news. The good news is that you will never face a temptation in your life that is far too great for you to bear, meaning that you will be able to withstand any temptation that comes your way. You, God will always give us a way out of these temptations, now, you know, people have taken this verse and, and they've kind of like combined it with some other things that really have nothing to do with it. The Scripture, Paul is talking about temptation here. He's not talking about life. He's not talking about, you know, just the things that we go through in life, the tr- you know, the, the trials uh, and the tribulations. He's not talking about that. He's talking about temptation. People have taken this verse and mixed it with trials and tribulations and mixed it with everything like, oh, don't worry. don't worry what you're going through. God won't let you go through anything that you can't go through. You know, He won't let you go through stuff that's too, that's too much for you. That's kind of misquoted, and let me tell you why. First, we know that he's talking about temptation here. And secondly, we will go through things that we can't do alone. We will go through things that we need Christ, the Savior. And that's what makes him a Savior, that he saves us from things that we cannot do. He saves us from circumstances that are too big for us. He saves us when we are going to drown and there is no way that we can get ourselves above water. He comes in and he saves us. So we have to understand that, yes, we will go through situations in our life that you cannot handle on your own. And you need to turn to him. You need to to, to surrender to him. You need to give your life to him because you can't do it. But just understand this. When it comes to temptation. When you are being tempted to do something wrong. You will never be tempted. More than what you can bear. This is how loving our God is. You know, first of all, remember, God is not tempting you because He can't tempt with evil. And so what happens is He allows certain temptations, but it's for our growth, for the testing and purifying and the refining. But even when He sees something coming our way, He goes, "You, you don't see this. We don't see this. But when the devil tries to throw some things our way, he goes, eh, no, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no, we good, we good. You can keep that. God does that for us. And so when, when we are about to get tempted, when we're getting tempted, he's already screened the calls. He already screened the call. He knows what you're being tempted in. He didn't do it, but he knows. And there is a way out. He provides a way. We can escape it. James 4, 7 says this. Oh, this is another one. People like to read half the verse. Let me read the whole verse. <laughs> Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the reason why I laughed was because people would be like, resist the devil and he'll flee. Girl, don't you know the word? Resist the devil and he'll be gone. I'm like, yeah. Can you read the whole verse? It says, submit your life to the Lord. Submit to God. Submit yourself to God. Say, God, you know what? I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm going to keep being a sinner, but I need to surrender my life to you because I can't do it on my own anymore, and I just need your help. And then, after you've done that, when the enemy comes to tempt us with all sorts of things, we could be like, listen, I... I usually would have given into that, but, but I, I've surrendered myself to God. And God, you got me, right? You got me. And God's like, yeah, I got you. He's like, okay, well, then you know what? That got to go. And then God says, all right, then you know what? He said, you got to go. He said, you got to go. <laughs> we can't forget that first part. There's power in, submit, in submitting yourself to the Lord. There's power in submission. There's power in that. Tested and tried. Can you guys stand up with me today? Tested and tried. Tested and tried. Tested and tried. Many of us are going through trials of of temptation right now. Right now, some of us are being tempted. Some of us are being tempted on a daily basis with certain things. And it's not easy. It's not going to say that it's easy. The word doesn't say it's easy. But guess what? The word says that you can, get, you can get out of it. He says that you can resist it. He says that if you submit to God, the devil will flee. Once you have endured and persevered and overcome the temptations that are, thrown, are being thrown our way, your prize, your great reward, is the crown of life. Crown of life. So I want to do something more morning as prayer prayer team. Can you guys come up? We want to pray with you guys. Not so far, like right here, right here. one we want to pray with you guys and, and, and what I, right now is this I want to we're going to move forward in prayer and, and what I want is I want you guys to know this you could be struggling with temptation right now and I want you I want, we want to pray with you you could not be struggling with temptation right now but in the future it might show up and you want to be ready for it so I want to pray with you today too some of us are, are, are living some consequences of some of the temptations that we've given into. And we want to pray with you. And then there are some of you that haven't even made the decision to accept Christ yet. And guess what? Today could be that day and we could celebrate it. We can, we can rejoice. Because it would be the best decision that you've ever made in your life. And even when you go through the trials and tribulations of what you're going through, you know you don't walk alone. You don't walk alone. You have become a daughter and a son of a king, making you a prince, making you a a princess. So I'm going to ask you that you close your eyes and bow your heads. And we're going to take a moment to pray and just reflect where we're at right now some of us are battling with some things some of us may not be but we will father god lord jesus father god right now we come before you lord we need you jesus Father God, right now there are those standing here today, Lord, that, that Lord, that are going through some trials, tribulations, and temptations in their life right now. Lord, we ask right now that you touch their hearts, you stir in them, and Lord, right now as we open the altar, Lord, we invite them forward for prayer. We want to pray with you this morning. Those that are battling with temptations, those that, that want to be prepared when temptation comes their way, the altar is open for you right now. The Bible says to stay alert. Because the devil is roaming like a he's like a he's like a, 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 a prowling lion looking for whom to devour. We want to pray with you to help you. Be alert to help you uh, uh, to understand and to identify and to see when the enemy is trying to steal what God is doing in your life. We want to pray with you this morning if you haven't accepted Christ. You, are, you, you, you pretty much have tried everything, you've done everything, you, but you still know that there's something missing. You have everything you possibly want and you still feel like there's something missing. The only thing that can fill that void is the presence of God in your life. If you are standing here today and you want to endure, you want to persevere, you want to stand firm, You want to be bold, but sometimes you just don't feel like you can do it. Or sometimes you just feel like you're struggling to be bold. You're struggling to stand firm. You're struggling to hold on to what God is doing. We want to pray with you this morning, and we invite you to the altar. We invite you to the altar.